Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Good to see, well, I was going to say smiling faces. Oh, I got one. Uh, good to see pleasant faces this morning, if not smiling. Um, I'm going to pray before I even say anything else. So, um, Yeah, Father, I just want to hit pause and recognize that we can approach the one who inhabits eternity. And so while we have time here and we feel uh, there's a schedule and whatnot, you are not restricted by time like we are, and, and we're glad of that. Um, so I just wanted to approach you and, and to recognize that we need you. We're wholly dependent on you, totally dependent on you. Um, that goes for each of us, Lord, whether it's uh, when we receive through your word something that you've impressed on us uh, and the spirit stirs that up within us, we need you um, to make sure that what we are meditating on is, is your word and, and is truth. Um, when we prepare and, and formulate uh, a way to share that with others, um, we need you in that preparation time. When we speak um, as the oracles of God, we need your help uh, to, to have self be dead and to have Christ be preeminent. And when we listen, we need to have your help to hear what you're saying and not to be distracted by the flaws of the speaker, um, but, but to process what you're giving us to, to hear. Then, then after that, Lord, we need help to put into practice what you're teaching us. And we need help when we're gathered with a group of people because we, I'm very easily distracted, Lord. And, and so we need help to be able to really hear what you have to say. And so in all these things, we recognize that we're totally dependent on you. And yet, at a much simpler level, um, our very breath comes from you. Uh, you're sustaining each of us right now. And so I just wanted to, to turn to you and recognize that it's the goodness of God that allows us to even be here. Um, and so I just want to pray that your name will be honored and glorified, that, that your son will be presented in a way that magnifies his name, that glorifies him, that sees excellence given to his name. Um, yeah, and that for each of us there would be something. Maybe it would be of encouragement. Maybe it would be of... Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, Lord, but I just pray that, that each person here would receive something from you. And uh, so I just pray those things for your own name's sake and in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> the last few times I've, I've spoken here, at least, it's been... Um, somewhat of, I suppose, exegesis. We've been going through passages and, and reading what the Bible says in a, in a whole portion and, and going through it and figuring out what that means for us. And that is actually my preferred way of handling the scriptures. Um, lots of people uh, nowadays use eisegesis, which is telling a story and making the Bible fit that story, um, which there's some risks with that approach. Um, but the last number of times I've tackled one particular passage and sort of looked through it. And uh, today I'm going to do something a little different. We're going to look at five passages 
and, and build on a theme that we see in the scriptures. And so hopefully that's helpful for, uh, as a preamble. Um, we're gonna look today uh, in the word of God at five states of hope. Five states of hope. Places, maybe, if we wanna think of it that way, that people will find themselves in relation to hope. Um, and because I'm passionate that I believe firmly that knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is the most important thing, uh, I'm going to start with a little bit of gospel. So if you haven't heard um, the gospel before, you're going to hear it right now. And it's just going to be in, in a very short form. Uh, I don't intend to take terribly long this morning. Um, so I have five passages. Uh, I hope you'll indulge me. I've downloaded the New King James on my phone, and so I'm going to use the New King James translation. I'm going to use my phone. Um, don't worry. I did, I did study in a, in a hard copy. Um, but we're going we're gonna to go first to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm, I'm going to pull five verses, but I'm going to also tell you a little bit about the context around them, because I know anybody can go flip their Bible open, find a verse, and be like, this is God's word to me, and it might have nothing to do with you. Um, and here's why. The Bible is for us. We find that out in the writings of Paul to Timothy, that the scriptures are profitable, and that they're good for us, and they give us a lot of things, correction, instruction, reproof. Um, they're, they're good. They're edifying. However, the Bible was not, in every portion, was not written to us. And to help illustrate that point, <clears throat> I brought a card. Um, I was going to actually see if I could find a, one of the notes Rita had written me early in our relationship. Um, but I, I decided to bring this as a little safer. Just kidding. It's, uh, I found this on the counter is why I brought this. <laughs> Um, but this is a thank you card. Now you can read this thank you card and you can learn some things. There's some measure of profit in here. You can find out who it's to, which is to myself, my wife, and family, so our daughter. Um, who it's from. So it's from uh, a, rel a cousin of Rita's and, and his wife. And, and what it's about. And so there's a sort of a general note that probably everyone got that says a sincere thank you. But then there's personalized notes, one for Rita and one for me. And so you could learn something from reading this and you might go, oh, Rita was really helpful. That's cool. Which if you know Rita, <laughs> it's probably not a huge surprise. Um, and, and you might see this and, and read the personal note and find out that at one point in the past, I married some people. So that, that's not to you. You didn't marry them. You didn't help them. Well, some of you did. You didn't help them with their wedding. Um, that, but you can still learn something from it. And so I want to take passages from the Bible. And just so we're clear on, I don't love ripping passages out of context. And so I'm going to give you a bit of context for each of them. Um, but, but I wanted to make sure that I followed this theme through. Um, while we were away on vacation, this theme really struck me, and I just was enjoying it, and so I thought I'd share it with you. So let's start, uh, without further ado, in Ephesians chapter 2, and the verse I'm going to read you is verse 12, verse 12, and it says this, that at that time you were without Christ, uh, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, um, when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, uh, he didn't have chapters and verses in there. Just in case you didn't know that, chapters and verses were introduced to the Bible in about the 1500s to help people find stuff in the Bible. That Paul didn't, it, Paul wrote a letter. The chapters and verses help us. So there's a paragraph here that's context, just like there would be in a letter or a note that's written. So in context, what Paul is writing is to a group of Gentile Christians. He's talking to them about how at one time they were without Christ. They were not Christian. They were Gentiles still, but they were not Christian. And, and now, follow, so following the verse, now in Christ Jesus, you, even though you were far away, which is what he talks about in the verse, he says you were aliens, you were strangers, you were foreigners, you weren't part of God's covenant people. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near to God by the blood of Christ. And so what he's talking about in this context is he's reminding people where they came from and where they are now. And so just so you have the context, and I'm not just yanking verses and, and making them fit my agenda, um, I just wanted to tell a story that will illustrate this, but it's a story of someone without hope. And, and the Bible tells us that when we're without Christ and without God in the world, we're without hope. All our hope is in Jesus. Um, that's a Crowder song, and it's awesome. I love it. Um, so, so there was a time in everyone's life when they had no hope. In a crowd this size, it's probable that someone here is still there, that you have no hope because you don't have Christ and you don't have God. Um, and so Paul wrote this letter to people who had been without hope and now they have hope. And we'll get to that, the other states of hope. But this is the first state of hope is actually having no hope. And that's our default position. If you've ever heard the gospel preach, you've heard that we are born sinners. Um, David would write in the Psalms, I was born in sin and deepened in iniquity. Everything about us begins apart from God. And that wasn't what God wanted. He made man, humans, in his image, and he created us for relationship and for fellowship with him. That's what God wants, but we broke that relationship or fractured it with our sin. And so Paul's reminding these people, once you were there, now you're here. And so I just want to tell you a story um, it's a relatively recent story. It's about 10-ish years old. And depending on which um, news site you go to, if you go to a Mexican media, it's going to call the man either Cirilo Vargas or Jose Vargas. If you go to any other media in the world, they're going to call him Jose Alvarenga. Regardless, it's the same person. They just He went by a different name in Mexico. I think there was probably some shady stuff part of that. But anyways, um, this is about a, a guy named, we'll just call him Jose for the story because it's easier to say 
and easier to hear. Um, Jose, in November of 2012, uh, decides that he's going fishing. So he's a professional fisherman. That's what he does. Um, he's employed to do that. And that was, that's, so he's setting out on a mission from Chiapas, Mexico, which is a state that's right on the border of Guatemala. So as far south as you can go in Mexico. Um, he's from El Salvador. He's kind of worked in the States for a while and run away from home a little bit. He has, hasn't seen his family in about eight years and is living and working in Mexico. And so Jose decides, November 17th, 2012, that he's going to go out in a boat, a skiff it's called, which just means that it's a small boat, 23 feet long, with one single outboard motor. And he's going to take that into the Pacific Ocean and go deep sea shark fishing. The guy sounds like a maniac. I'm sorry. I'm a prairie boy. None of that sounds appealing to me at all but he's doing it. That's his job. That's what he's doing. He's going out. Now, the problem that Jose encountered immediately uh, was that his regular partner, the guy he normally worked with, uh, was not available that day. And so instead, he took with him another guy. The other guy's name is Ezekiel Cordoba. Now, at the time, they had maybe seen each other a couple times on the docks, but they didn't even know each other's last names. Like they were not buddies or friends or whatever. Like they knew each other kind of, but they didn't really know each other. So um, Jose is about 36 at the time. Uh, Ezekiel is about 23. And they, they come together in this skiff and they head out for a 30-hour deep sea fishing excursion. That's the plan. Again, not one word of what I've said sounds appealing to me, other than maybe meeting a new person. <laughs> uh, they go out into the sea, and wouldn't you know it, as happens, a storm comes up. It's a five-day storm. It sounds horrifying. While the storm is raging, their outboard motor dies. Then all of the onboard electronics die. All they've got left is a battery-powered two-way radio. And they, so Jose did get a hold of his boss and say, hey, we're in trouble, send someone to help us. Um, but they had no sails, no oars, no anchor, no lights. They had to dump their catch over the side, 1,100 pounds of freshly caught shark, marlin, etc., fish, large fish. They had to dump over the side so they could kind of try to steer the boat through the storm. So they had no catch. They had nothing except two dudes in a boat in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> <clears throat> so because they had managed to get a hold of the boss before the battery in the two-way radio died... Um, there was a search party organized. And the search party looked for two days. For two whole days, they looked for these missing men, Jose and Ezekiel. They looked for two whole days, and then they said, well, we can't really see anything out here because of this storm, and they gave up. And there's no record that anybody else ever went and looked again. Um, that might have happened, but there's no record of it. So poor visibility, no equipment, I mean, if anything says, these guys have no hope. 
That's it. And so they're out on the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, and, and they're being taken by the current and the wind. Like they're, they're just going where the Pacific Ocean wants to take them. Um, <clears throat> days turn into weeks. They survive by catching turtles, jellyfish, and the occasional fish that comes close to the boat by hand. Uh, they didn't have any tools, so they had to catch them by hand. Uh, so that's what they ate, uh, and some birds. Um, they, they drank whatever rainwater they could collect. And then, this is really gross, I'm sorry if you're squeamish, but they drank turtle blood and their own urine. Like, that's, this is a pretty desperate situation. I'm not sure if you're picking up on that, but there's, they have no hope. They're in the mid, the Pacific Ocean is enormous, it goes all the way from the, the west coast of North America all the way to Asia. Like, it's a huge, huge ocean. <clears throat> it's about, it's over 10,000 kilometers across. Uh, it's massive. So, so here these guys are, and they're, they're struggling. And Ezekiel is getting pretty sick. He's been sick because they've been eating raw meat. And finally, he says, I'm not eating any more raw meat. I keep getting sick. I'm not going to do it. And he starves to death. In the same boat, Jose is watching him starve to death. <clears throat> Before he dies, he pleads with Jose, please don't eat me. These are people with no hope. No hope. Sorry for telling this story. First thing in the morning, <laughs> I see the horrified looks on some of your faces. So, so Jose wanted to honor Ezekiel and, and so he, he left his body on the boat and after about six days he realized that he was talking to Ezekiel as if he was still there and so he's like, well, I might be going crazy so I'm going to bury him at sea uh, so that I don't actually go crazy and then he was totally alone. He counted 15 lunar cycles so 15 full phases of the moon he was on the ocean for 13 months, nine of which he was totally alone. <clears throat> he saw big ships in the distance, but he had no flares, he had no radio, he had no way to contact them. And so he would see them and they would pass by. Can you imagine... I'm sort of a, I think I'm fairly empathetic as a person and I could just put myself in Jose's flip-flops, sitting on the boat, looking and pleading like, please, someone see me. And he's totally, totally without hope. He has no way to rescue himself. And he's at the mercy of the sea. <clears throat> so finally, after 13 months, Jose sees land. An island. It's actually smaller than an island. It's an islet. I don't know even what that is. I'd never seen the word before. Islet is how I said it because it sounded fun. Um, so he sees this little spot and, and it, he jumped out of the boat and swam to shore and was found by two local men who lived in the area. A bunch of islands and he had made it all the way to the Marshall Islands. The Marshall Islands are just on the northeast of Australia. They're 10,000 kilometers away from Chiapas, Mexico. 
This guy had covered a lot of, I was going to say ground, but I guess he'd covered a lot of water on his way. His story was so unbelievable that they actually did a polygraph test on him at the U.S. Embassy because they didn't believe him. But they had records that a little boat went missing November of 2012. The dude's name was this. They, there was a bit of a mix-up with the names but because he had a nickname, which is pretty common. And so um, there was a bit of confusion, but his family said, yeah, this is him, and his story lined up, and he did polygraphs. And uh, So they actually consulted oceanographers. They're like, is this even possible? Like something happened. And the oceanographers were like, well, the ocean currents would take them to about within 100 miles of there, so it seems reasonable. We would get, it would take about 18 months to get there, but 13 is probably reasonable. And so the, the scientists and experts all said, yeah, that, that makes sense. But um, when he left Chiapas, he didn't know that. And so he had 13 months, nine of which were totally alone, where he was without hope. And that reminds me a lot of my early life. That story reminds me of my early life. And it reminds me because there was a time when I, too, was without hope. When I could look and I could see that other people had hope. And oh, that was gut-wrenching because I didn't have it. I had no confidence. In fact, I, I knew for sure that my future wasn't secure. That if something happened to me, I knew I wasn't in a relationship with God. That I didn't know Christ. And, and Paul wrote to the Ephesians and he said, there was a time when you were without Christ and without God and without hope in this world. And that was me. And, and possibly, that's you. And, and we all, if you aren't there, we can all think back to when we were there and, and without hope, without Christ. And so that's kind of the worst of the bunch. So I started with that because um, I, I don't want to beat you guys over the head. But, but it's important to, to recognize that our natural state is not to be hopeful. Our natural state is without hope. No hope is kind of where we all grew up. But I'm going to point out a verse, and, and if you want to turn to it, it's in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 15. And it's verse 12. Again, I'm taking a verse, and it's even worse because it's quoting an Old Testament passage. So I'm taking a New Testament verse that quotes an Old Testament verse and talking about it, but um, in this context, Paul, the writer, talks about how, again, Isaiah says, Romans 15, verse 12, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, that's talking about Jesus, in him the Gentiles shall hope. Um, as I was thinking about that, uh, which, again, this is about Jews and Gentiles coming together. The passage, the context is Jews and Gentiles are coming together and worshiping God together. And why is that? Because the Messiah of the Jews is the King of the nations. It's the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's, it's the Lord Jesus. And, and he's quoting Old Testament passages saying that even the, the nations, even the Gentiles, would rejoice with God's people. And so it's been prophesied for a long time that 
that there was hope and that hope is in Jesus. And so to illustrate that, because he's the only hope, I wanted to remind you of two stories kind of back to back. On my Bible, uh, in my King James Bible, they're on back to back pages. Um, It's Mark chapter four and Mark chapter six. In Mark chapter four, the disciples go and Jesus says, let's get in the boat and we'll go to the other side. And then Jesus falls asleep. And they're in the boat and a storm comes and they're on their way to the other side where Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And the storm comes and they lose their collective minds. And they say, don't you care that we're gonna drown? We're gonna die and you're sleeping. Like what's going on with that? And, and what happens in Mark chapter four, the Lord Jesus stands up in the boat and says, peace be still. And the wind stops and the waves stop. And everybody goes, whoa, who has power over a storm like that? Fast forward to chapter six. The disciples, Jesus says, go to the other side. I'll meet you guys over there. And they start heading over to the other side in a boat and a storm comes. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. I, I can't even fathom what that would have been like. But these guys, like Mark chapter four to Mark chapter six is not a very big stretch of time. So they've already seen him handle a storm. And Peter actually, not in Mark's account, but in other accounts, he gets out of the boat. He says, Lord, if it's you, call me and I'll come to you on the ways. And so Peter knows in the same area, um, I was reading, uh, the same time I was reading those two chapters in order to prepare for this, I was reading in my sort of daily reading in the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus does a teaching where he talks about being the bread of life. And he tells the people that you've got, and it's, I'm not sure how to teach on that, so that's why I'm not covering it today. But um, he tells the people that they have to eat his flesh and drink his blood. And people go, oh, that's gross. And they say, we're not following this. And many leave because what he's teaching is hard and they don't get it. And so then he turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter in an instant says, where else would we go? You have the words of life. And so the disciples recognized that the Lord Jesus Christ is their only hope. So they had gone from a place of no hope to recognizing that Jesus is the only hope. Not in a, not in a mystical way, but in the reality that they knew that he was the one who had the power over the storms and that he was the one who had the words of life. They knew that there was something about Jesus that was so different from everyone else. They put all their hope in him. Hallelujah. And it's a powerful thing to think about that. And maybe you're here. And I remember being in my first few weeks, months, years of being a follower of Jesus, where I had said, hey, there's something to this. And I went from having no hope to the Lord Jesus was my only hope. And I hope, I got to figure out a better way to word that. I, I trust that I always have my only hope as the Lord Jesus. Practically in my life, there's lots of times I put hope in other things. Practically. But if my hope is in Jesus, he's my only hope. Because he is our only hope.
as we find in, in Romans 15, 12. He's the hope for the Gentiles. So there's something different about the Lord Jesus that makes him our only hope. Um, I'd like to keep moving because the clock moves faster when I'm up here than it does in, when I'm not. Um, so I'm going to go to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'll invite you to follow along or jot it down if you're a note taker, but I'm going to read it for you. Um, so 1 Peter chapter 1, um, Paul, or sorry, Peter writing a letter to a bunch of different um, Jewish saints, most likely, who are scattered all over. Uh, he writes a letter to them, and verse 3 of that, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's the beginning of a passage that talks about all the awesome things we have in Christ. And if you are feeling a little down, you should definitely read 1 Peter chapter 1. It's, it's pretty amazing, some of this awesome stuff we have in Christ. But one of my favorite things, so the King James translation calls it a lively hope. Um, that translates that word living into lively. But our hope comes from the fact, according to this verse, that Christ is risen. And I know it's not Easter and you're not expecting a message about the resurrection, but, but the whole point is the resurrection of Christ proves to us that God was satisfied and that our hope in Jesus is rightly placed. And he promised repeatedly in the New Testament when the Lord Jesus encountered people, whether it was the woman at the well or whether it was, I can't remember who the second person is right now, but I think it was a man whose son or servant got healed. And the Lord Jesus talked about how whoever has the water of life, there's an abundant spring coming up from within them. There's, there's life springing up from within them. That life is the spirit life that Jesus gives. He talks about being born of water and of the spirit and how we need the second birth to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And so our living hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's alive. If he wasn't, we'd be miserable. And that's actually a scriptural principle. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, if he did not rise, we are of all men most miserable because we're living out this Christian life with no power. So hallelujah that he's alive, right? He's our only hope, but he's a living hope. And that's an amazing thing. Um, I'm fascinated. I won't take the time to tell the story, but if you have the chance to look into a guy named Lee Strobel, Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. So what happened was Lee Strobel is an atheist. He's married to an agnostic. The difference between the two is an atheist says there is no God and an agnostic says, I'm pretty sure there's no God. That's basically the difference. There's some subtleties to that. But anyways, his wife becomes friends with a lady from work and that lady is a devout born-again Christian and she just pours out love on Lee Strobel's wife. And so she starts going to church with this lady and hearing the gospel. And then one day, this is, uh, I saw an interview with Lee Strobel and it was a hilarious quote. He says, I heard the worst words an atheist could ever hear from their wife. I've decided to become a follower of Jesus. <laughs> he was so upset. He set out to do everything in his power to prove that Christianity was a sham. 
that the resurrection never happened. He identified as an atheist, if I can prove the resurrection wasn't real, Christianity falls apart. And he dedicated all of his resources to studying and and investigating. And he consulted with experts and he became a Christian. (laughs) It's an awesome story. And, And hallelujah for that because we have a living hope. And even someone who was set on finding out proof that Jesus was not risen encountered evidence that convinced him that there's a legal case to be made for Christ. That he is a living hope. I'm, I'm going to intentionally fast forward here and move on to the next passage that I wanted to talk about. So this is Hebrews chapter 6 now. Hebrews chapter 6. So again, I'm, I'm pulling things, pulling single verses out, but I want to tell you what the context is. So in Hebrews, um, we don't actually know who the author of Hebrews is. Well, some of us are pretty confident, but um, nobody knows for sure. The author doesn't write their name on it, so we're not, we're not convinced. But um, in, in what we call chapter 6, um, it's talking about God's purposes in Christ, how, how God promised Abraham, and he couldn't swear by anything greater than himself, so he just said, I will bless you. <laughs> He couldn't, he couldn't make an oath because he's God and there was no way to make an oath because there's nothing bigger than God. And so God has determined that he's going to show abundantly to the heirs of promise what he has promised to Abraham. And so we find verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Now, just because I want to make sure that you understand what this hope is and what this anchor is, where the forerunner has entered for us, is what the next verse says, even Jesus. So just to be clear, the hope, the anchor, is Jesus. He is sure and steadfast, and he is in the presence of God. So one thing that Jose and Ezekiel were missing uh, not that it would have been a huge help. I did a little bit of research about anchoring because I don't really know anything about boats. Um, and they say if you're anchoring your boat um, because of a storm, you're, the chain that connects the anchor to the boat should be three to seven times the length of how deep you are. So how deep the water is, your chain should be three to seven times longer than that to be securely anchored. Uh, because the water will go up and down, I guess. I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I'm not a boat expert. But uh, I did read an article written by a boat expert who talked very casually, I might add, about how they had anchored uh, and endured a hurricane. Um, and I thought that was horrifying. <laughs> so I, Anyway, the, the whole point is that, that the anchor is hooked, and it's solid, and it's secure. And then the chain that connects it is sure is connected to the anchor and to the boat. And that's, you, you stay in place and don't get tossed around by the waves. Well, so when I think about an anchoring hope, which is the next point, so we have, we, you could start out with no hope and then you can have 
only one hope and that's Jesus. And then, then that hope is a living hope that, that changes us from the inside out. But that hope is an anchoring hope. And so in difficult times, we have hope. And so those difficult times happen to each of us. That's part of life. Um, so those difficult times might look, yeah, I don't, I don't want to start getting into what your difficult times are, but, but each of us has experienced difficult times. Maybe those times are, are grief. Maybe those times are pain. Maybe those times are sickness. Maybe they're disappointment. Um, whatever your difficult times are, we have a sure and steadfast anchor in the presence of God, and that anchor is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so um, I, when I think about an anchor and the waves and stuff, I think about James chapter 1, where it talks about how um, there's people who are tossed to and fro by the waves. It's talking about people, in a specific context, it's talking about um, getting wisdom and not being childlike in our, or childish in our faith, where we're not just believing everything we hear, but we're actually anchored, and no matter what the waves are, we're steady. We can only do that because of Christ. And so, um, if you're hearing what I'm saying today at all, I sure hope you're hearing that the Lord Jesus Christ is awesome. I hope that you're hearing that he's worth praising. I hope that you're hearing that he is something totally different than any of the rest of us. I hope you're hearing that because that's what I'm saying and I, I want to make sure it's translating well. So without Christ, we have no hope. With Christ, who is our only hope, we have both a living hope and an anchoring hope. But there's more. And it's amazing. I feel a little bit like uh, the ShamWow guy on the late night TV commercials, which I used to watch as a kid. And uh, he go, but wait, there's more. And you know when people are that excited about a dishcloth that they're a little bit crazy. And so that's okay if you think I'm a little bit crazy about the Lord Jesus. Because I'm going to tell you, but wait, there's more. It's not just that without him we have no hope. It's not just that he's our only hope. There's not 15 different opportunities to get in, into God's presence. There's one, and his name is Jesus. It's not just that he totally makes me a different person from the inside out, as if that's not awesome enough. And it's not just that I can count on him even in the toughest storms that I face, but also turn to Colossians chapter 1. And we'll find out in Colossians 1 that this is a glorious hope. <clears throat> I guess I should have figured out what, what a definition of hope was because you might all be thinking that I'm talking like, I sure hope, I sure hope the Winnipeg Jets win the cup this year or whatever. Like, we, we can all have crazy hopes, but this is a sure thing. This is something that we've placed our faith in and we haven't seen it yet, but we know we're going to get it. It's a sure deal. That's what this, is, this, that's what this hope is. So again, for context, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Colossae. That's why we call it Colossians. And he's writing about, he's talked about the gospel being spread. He's talked about reconciliation in Christ. Then he talks about what it's like to sacrificially serve for Christ. That's the context of where we're reading right now. He's talking about serving Christ. 
And he says, I rejoice in all the sufferings that are happening to me. Again, for context, this is a guy who goes to jail for Jesus. He gets whipped. He gets beat up. He gets rocks thrown at him. Like, he didn't have super easy life. And he's saying, I rejoice in those sufferings. He considers it good stewardship to be doing what he's doing. He's a steward of the gospel. He's got a message. It's not his message. It's God's message. And he's carrying it to other people. And that's really important. And that it was a mystery that's now been revealed in Christ. And so then he says, to them, that, so he's talking about the saints, the people who are in Christ, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery. Again, talking about salvation. This mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, the fifth state of hope is a glorious hope. Um, I'm still, contrary to what some might believe, a fairly young man. Um, but as I get older, the more I start looking forward. When I was like 20, I had a lot of life I wanted to live before you know, like, Lord, take me now. You know, like, I, I wanted to live a bunch and experience different things. The older I get, the more I'm like, no, I'm good with whenever. Like, it's fine. I'm, I'd be happy to, to be in eternity and not be in time anymore. Like, this, this would be okay. Because I'm, the older I get, the, the more I get to know Christ, the more I think, man, it'd be awesome to just be with him forever now. Like, that'd be pretty handy, which, good news, we are. We're with him already, that's the glory of the gospel, that we're in relationship. And Jesus prayed this. I don't know if you remember this prayer, but the Lord Jesus prayed for unity among the saints to be the same as the unity in the Godhead. He prayed to the Father that you and I would be united together with each other and with God the same way he was. That's mind-blowing. That's glorious. We have a glorious hope, and that hope is that it's not just that he puts a new life in us and we get to start over. That's not the point. We have a, a new life in us, and we get to become like him. And we're growing, and God's chiseling away the yucky parts of me to make me more like Christ. And I'm not there yet. But one day, we will see him as he is, and we'll be like him. I don't, I, I can't fathom that. That's mind-blowing to me how awesome that is. But that's what this hope is that we're talking about. It's not just as if this wasn't already a big deal. It's not just that you get saved from, from danger and, and doom and death. It's not, it's not just being rescued from the bad. It's also being given everything in Christ. That is hope. And that's what sets Christians apart from the rest of the world. And so if you're here today and you don't have hope because you don't know the Lord Jesus, the Bible is really clear. There is one responsibility that humans have as far as all the things. There's only one work you can do to get to heaven. And that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the work. 
And when you do, oh man, you got a future ahead of you. It's an amazing thing to have hope, and it's a glorious hope. But also, if you're here today and you're going through a tough time, a tough time, it's an anchoring hope. We know that we are right there in the presence of God because of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus. Can you even imagine that whatever hurt we've got, whatever pain, whatever sickness, whatever grief, whatever despair, whatever disappointment that's crushing us, we're right there in the presence of God because of the Lord Jesus. And oh, it's an anchor even in the toughest storms. And I hope that this message does two things. I hope that it glorifies God, and I sure hope that it gives you hope that one day we're going to be with him, and we're going to be like him, and it's going to be glorious because every tear is going to be wiped away. And we're going to be like him, and it's going to be awesome. So I'm going to um, close in prayer unless somebody else was asked to do that. But I'm going to close in prayer, and we'll take a coffee break. And we can be filled with hope wherever we are. That's the beauty of these states of hope. They're not just physical locations. Um, We get to carry it with us. Father in heaven, um, I just want to come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, recognizing that he is our only hope. Um, This isn't some movie scene where we go, oh no, we need somebody to rescue us from the bad guys. This is way bigger than that. And God, we are totally, totally dependent on the Lord Jesus. We can't even talk to you without coming to you in his name. We are clothed in his righteousness when we believe in him. And that's how we get to come into your presence, God. And I just pray that you would hear us as we plead. May the name of the Lord Jesus Christ be lifted so high today that everyone here can see it. That everyone here can see what a great thing it is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray as well for those of us who are in tough times that we would have our anchor sure and steadfast in the Lord Jesus. That we wouldn't try to fix it ourselves, but that we would just come to you And so I pray for comfort and strength and I pray that we would have our eyes fixed on the glorious hope that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I pray in his name, amen.